Mahaba from Dubai for this very special two-part episode of Edie's Sustainable Business Covered podcast. And this really is a podcast like no other because I am currently sat right in the centre of Expo 2020 here in Dubai. And in case that year has thrown you, it's currently January 2022, but Expo 2020 was delayed because of the COVID pandemic. Uh, And essentially, this is a a world expo or a world fair, as it's referred to in some regions, which is an enormous international exhibition designed to showcase the achievements of nations right across the world. World expos like this take place every five years, and Dubai represents the 35th of them, running from the 1st of October 2021 through until the 31st of March this year, 2022. Now, the theme of this expo is connecting minds, creating the future, and sitting underneath that, we've got three sub-themes of opportunity, mobility, and sustainability, all of which are, of course, very relevant to Edie and our business audience. So. On that note, the organisers have very kindly invited me out here for a full behind-the-scenes tour of the site to experience firsthand some of the pavilions, the country exhibitions. I arrived here late last night. Um, It's around half nine in the morning right now, and I must admit, with this being my first day, I I do feel a bit overwhelmed at the moment. Um, To give some perspective, I was told on my way in last night that Expo 2020 is as big as 600 football pitches. It's twice the size of Monaco, much bigger even than New York's central park um, but I'm currently sat in the epicenter of the expo which is the Al-Wasul dome uh, a giant structure which people can walk around and relax um, there's often music playing and shows on I suppose it's a bit like uh, the O2 in London um, but I have to say it's much more serene here and I'm told they do different light shows here every night which as you can imagine really bring this place to life anyway aside from being able to enjoy these serene surroundings um, there is another reason for me to be visiting the expo because this week it is playing host to the UN's Global Goals Week which is a pretty big deal because it's the first time this week of SDG activity has left the UN's General Assembly and essentially there's a whole program of SDG content and events taking place throughout the week which I'll be getting involved with. So my journey here at Expo 2020 is just beginning but I'm going to be bringing you with me. Over the next few days in this two-part episode, I'm going to be speaking with a few of the people behind Expo 2020 to find out a bit more about the sustainability credentials of the site. Uh, And there'll also be a couple of tours as well, including a tour of the Sustainability Pavilion, which I saw the outside of just now, and I must say looks absolutely stunning. So stay tuned for all of that. Uh, But first up, I'm going to walk around to the other side of this dome, where I believe I'm due to meet a woman named Nadia, who is the Chief of Staff here at the Expo, to find out a bit more about Global Goals Week and also more broadly the sustainability program that's running here at the expo. Hopefully it'll be a shady spot because the sun's really starting to come down now. I'm not used to this heat. Um, So anyway, let's head over there now and meet Nadia. Okay, yes, here I am then in the Canvas Cafe over in the Opportunity District. It's about 10 a.m. in the morning. Uh, The numbers are starting to creep through. The sun has risen. It's beaming down on us here. But it's a lovely, lovely kind of quaint cafe. Uh, And I am joined here by Nadia Vergi, who is the Chief of Staff at the Expo uh, and the person leading the programme for People and Planet, of which uh, Global Goals Week is, of course, a part. Um, Nadia, hello. 
Good morning. <laughs> so perhaps you could actually start by um, giving our listeners a, a sense of perspective about where we are and what this opportunity district is around us. Absolutely. So we are located in the Canvas Cafe, as you said, in the Opportunity Pavilion. It's one of our three anchor thematic pavilions for our three sub-themes of opportunity, sustainability and mobility. Opportunity as a theme uh, for us at Expo has been dedicated from the very beginning to the sustainable development goals. Everything about this Expo and the way that we built the site, in the way that we operate the site, in the design of the exhibition and the program that we've layered into it really speaks to the core values of the SDGs um, and really the purpose here at the Opportunity Pavilion is to inform the public about what the SDGs are in an easy, bite-sized but really meaningful way. The experience that you'll go through the Opportunity Pavilion really looks at the SDGs through three fundamental stages. The first being uh, providing access to basic needs for everybody on this planet is a fundamental prerequisite to then creating the second stage of an enabling environment because only when you have access to basic needs can you really begin to talk about quality access to education, quality access to healthcare and that enabled environment then leads to the third step of opportunity for all. So as you go through this opportunity pavilion experience, you can take one of three tracks, water, food or energy track. As you boil them down to the basics, they become much more fundamental and, um, and relevant to the individual who's, who's going through, through the experience. Yeah, amazing. Um, and I, I have ventured down there already a little bit just to have a look at what I'm going to go and be seeing later because I'm due to be taking a tour um, of the sustainability pavilion. Anyway, so um, you mentioned the kind of thematic weeks, um, Global Goals Week is of course one of them and I suppose one of the real big flagship ones given its relationship closely obviously with sustainable development. How does it feel to, to sort of see Global Goals Week finally coming to life? It feels um, meaningful, it feels timely um, and it feels relevant. We always intended for the Global Goals Week to be one of the core theme weeks of our program for people and planet. The other nine theme weeks really represent different elements of the SDGs, from water to health to education. Um, but really the Global Goals Week wraps all of that into one dedicated sort of emphasis on what policymakers can do, on what business can do, but most importantly, what the 10 million plus visitors can do as they walk through the gates, really, really driving awareness, driving information, driving a sense of education about what the SDGs are and really boiling them down into a digestible, understandable um, framework that they can, they can then sort of take away and then implement as their own to-do list in their own lives. And you mentioned the, the 10 million plus visitors, I've heard that we've hit the 10 million mark. We um, did last recently. weekend. So that's obviously a, a good sign. I mean, number-wise, um, has, has the COVID pandemic kind of impacted numbers? Are we seeing numbers starting to, to creep back up? Well, of course, you know, we're not in a post-pandemic world. We're in a pandemic world and COVID is still very much a reality for us here as it is for everybody around the world. So, of course, it's impacted us, but we continue to strive to host a very safe, responsible um, experience. And, and we've really been galvanized and driven by um, the, the, the way that visitors have been incredibly responsible. They are socially distancing, they're wearing their masks, 
um, and they're really sort of taking on uh, their role very well um, as they explore the site, which is, as you've seen, enormous. And so that there's enough, really enough space uh, to, to host all of these individuals as they come through the site every day. Mm. And Global Goals Week, back to that, just thinking about the fact that this obviously marks the first time that the week has been hosted outside of the UN's General Assembly. How are you able to kind of make that happen, make that transition happen? Because it's obviously a huge transition given that it's a UN entity. Yeah, um, it's, a, it's a great question. I think this has sort of been years in the making. I think I made my first trip to the UN to, 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 to bring the idea to them about three years ago. Um, but I think what they see as relevant to their agenda, which is very much relevant to our agenda in the UAE and in Dubai, um, is really sort of in, in recognition of the fact that economic centers of gravity are moving east. Um, we are uh, an expo that is truly representative of not only the region, and by region, I'm including not only um, the subcontinent, but also sub-Saharan Africa um, and the wider, the wider region that we sit in, um, in the Middle East, uh, but also the world with 192 nations and international organizations. We are more than 200 entities strong here at the Expo. So a truly global effort. Um, and the UN really recognized uh, that this partnership would really sort of drive purpose and really sort of drive a wider awareness in this part of the world um, about what their agenda is and what our collective uh, global agenda is. And so um, we, we were able to design a really relevant program with them that not only discussed uh, what policymakers can do, what business can do, but really the value of driving an understanding of the SDGs, the fact that every single one of us has a role to play, um, was really critical for the message of, of the UN um, as much as it is for the message of the Expo. And so we were very aligned in our purpose from the very beginning and, and that would just really led to a, an incredibly fruitful partnership that we have seen um, really come to life this week here on site. Yeah, I think it does do that. It kind of connects I think hosting it outside of the General Assembly, I'm obviously going to be biased because I'm sat here right now in the lovely sunshine kind of absorbing it all, but it does feel like it connects it with people a bit more and it feels a little bit less kind of government focused being held outside of the General Assembly. And I guess that's partly what the SDGs are about, is connecting it with people on the ground. I mean, 100%. I think, um, <clears throat> you know, the SDGs are not easy for everyday individuals to digest. It's quite heavy um, and typically sits in the realm of policymakers. Mm. And so in order for us to really Really get to a point where we can honestly say that we are on track again because we are not on track it, it's going to need every single one of us um, on this planet really to drive action forward so that is the purpose of, of bringing the global goals to an, a forum like a world expo um, but also to a place like Dubai and a country like the UAE that has made such overwhelmingly uh, positive commitments to the SDGs, um, you know, in climate, uh, in, the, in, the, in the climate change and biodiversity week in October, we announced our commitment to net zero by 2050. Uh, of course, we're going to be the hosts of COP28. Um, and so all of this sort of collective aspiration is not just aspiration, it's, it's, it's action. Um, and this is really where we believe uh, we can drive positive change. And the programme, I mean, you mentioned is kind of, is vast and it, it really is. There's so much to it, particularly just taking Global Goals Week. There's like programmes within the programme and different subsets and you can go off to various locations around this huge site to, to take part and, and listen in on sessions. How did the 
program get decided upon? How did you, dis- you and, and the UN, I suppose, decide who was speaking, which which topics to be focused on? Because there's 17 global goals. There's people right into, across the world who are involved in them in some way. So deciding on this can, is probably quite tricky, right? It was um, it was a, actually a really um, organic experience. I think um, it began when we um, when we were forced to, uh, to 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 put a pause on our expo in 2020. Um, we we spent a lot of time through the summer of 2020 uh, looking at uh, looking at how to design a program that was relevant to a COVID world, and we surveyed every single country that was coming to the expo. We worked with them to identify the themes and the areas and the, and, and the sectors that they were most focused on. And together, in collaboration with those 192 countries, we spent the summer really boiling this down into the themes that you see, the 10 themes that frame the program. But we have five tracks that sit across those 10 themes that really holistically across a social agenda, an environmental agenda, a business agenda, a cultural agenda, but at the heart of that, the UAE's agenda, really bringing that together with the world and designing a program for people and planet that would ensure uh, relevance um, and that would ensure that we drive the right messages at the expo that we're hosting right now. And one of those five tracks, as you just mentioned, is, is of course, business. Um, how are you making the this program, perhaps you taking Global Goals Week as an example, how are you using that, that program in a way that is just as relevant for a business audience and encouraging businesses through the doors as well as it is for the for the wider public? So typically World Expos are places where um, nations do business. So uh, a, a nation's uh, uh, interest in participating in a World Expo um, can be driven by its interest in attracting foreign direct investment, its interest in promoting its tourism, um, its interest in its nation branding. So there is a very strong business community that participates in World Expos. Um, but of course, we cannot even conceive to think about achieving a global goals agenda or an SDG agenda without business. So as we see sort of business more and more aware and inclusive of their environmental, social agenda in, into their triple bottom line, um, it's, uh, it's, it becomes a very core component of the discussion. Um, we then, on the back of that, decided that we needed to work with an organization or an entity such as the Global Compact for the Global Goals Week uh, to really bring that message home to draw more attention to the to the um, to the work that the Global Compact does, uh, to subscribe more participants in this part of the world to the Global Compact agenda. But that's just an example of how we've tried to draw connections and linkages across the world, framed around the the priority areas, uh, but really ensure that the UAE. Uh, that the business community in the UAE and that the businesses who are participating in the expo through the 192 countries are all rallied around uh, the, the theme of the day or the issue of the day. So business really is an integral part of the program and we cannot do what we want to achieve without it. And I suppose a, a fitting place to, to end the conversation would be to look at the, the legacy and what happens next after the 31st of March when the doors close here on the expo. Talk to me a bit about the work that's going on here to ensure there's a, a positive legacy from this expo, particularly through the lens of the global goals. 
So there's going to be two core legacy outcomes of the program for people and planet through the Expo 2020 Dubai platform. The first is um, ensuring that all of the outcomes and the outputs of this program for people and planet that we have delivered in line with tens of thousands of people who have participated in it so far live on in a digital platform. And so they will be easily accessible to your listeners, to those who have not had the opportunity to come through our doors. Uh, but I promise it'll be compelling, it'll be outcome oriented, and it will be valuable in terms of its content. Um, and the second component is really people focused. We are very keen that the core message of the Global Goals Week and of the, of the entire set of thematic weeks under the program live on um, with those visitors who, who have experienced uh, the site, <clears throat> but even those who haven't experienced it. So we are designing and will be delivering as soon as doors close um, a people-focused uh, uh, legacy uh, output or outcome um, that will be sort of a core component of the Dubai calendar and what the people of Dubai and, and, this, and, and, the, and the country of the UAE are invited to engage in, um, let's say sort of their own to-do list for the SDGs, um, but really continue to ensure that we're driving an awareness raising, that we're delivering action, not only at a city-wide scale, but also at a nationwide scale. Well, um, Nadia, thank you on that, on that positive note. I'm looking forward to seeing how this kind of plays out over the coming weeks, months, years even. Um, this has been a fascinating chat, a great start to my kind of podcast tour here at the Expo, so thank you so much. Now I'm going to move on to the, the next part of this tour, which is a bit more of a physical tour because I'm going to head over to the Sustainability Pavilion, uh, where I believe I'm going to be meeting uh, John Ball, who's the director of that pavilion. He's going to take me around. I'm told it's quite interactive, so we'll see how that goes. My name's John Ball. I'm director of Terra, the Sustainability Pavilion here at Expo 2020 Dubai. John, hello. Hello. Welcome to Terra. Thank you very much. Um, right, so... Explain where we are right now, first of all. So we're at the heart of the sustainability district at Expo 2020 Dubai. We're standing underneath the huge canopy of Terra, the sustainability pavilion. This amazing net zero energy and water building that's been designed to inspire our visitors to see a brighter future and to help play a part in making it. Wow, okay, so um, I should explain. We're kind of looking up at a, a giant, this is like a solar, it's like a kind of solar-shaped flower, right? Yeah, absolutely, or a flying saucer or the Millennium Falcon. Um, it's the main feature of Terra, this 130-metre-wide canopy. Uh, steel uh, girders leading up from the ground, the second from the second largest ring beam in all of Dubai, holding over a 1,000 photovoltaic cells. And those, along with others that we've got dispersed around the site on uh, some fabulous structures that we call energy trees, give this building four gigawatt hours of energy every year, which is just what we need to keep it going. Wow, okay, so we're gonna have a bit of a walk around and you're gonna maybe show me a few of the things that we're looking at, because there's some fascinating looking contraptions as we walk around the center here, so let's do it. Right, so uh, we're starting our walk then around uh, the edge of this main kind of solar platform here. Um, so, John, talk to me about what we can see on the outskirts, because I can see more of these um, solar petals. Yeah, absolutely. Well, as I mentioned, Terra has been designed to be net zero in its use of energy, and the photovoltaics on the canopy were not enough. So dotted around the landscape, we have 18 of these things that we call energy trees, although normally I liken them to sunflowers, because perhaps the most interesting feature of them, their heads, 
are again covered in photovoltaics, but they turn, they track the sun over the course of the day. Um, and to do that, we've made the structure strong and light. It's made from carbon fiber, and it's, you know, it's a relatively unusual use of the material in a large-scale construction project. And we've also used bifacial PVs on them so that we get uh, reflected sunlight off the floor as well. So we're increasing our efficiency there too. Right, okay, interesting. Um, and talk to me about the other aspects as well as energy, water, waste. Yeah, I mean, what I always find amazing about this place is that it's not only net zero in terms of energy, which you can see where we draw the sun from, but uh, it's also net planned to be net zero in its use of water. And you know, we've just had some rain here in Dubai, but I can tell you that is relatively unusual. Um, Terra acts almost as like a mini water treatment plant, and there's interconnected and embedded systems working hard on capturing as much water as we can get and not letting it out of this building. So we make everything work. So for example, as you walk through our beautiful landscape, you'll pass some reeds. And they're not just there because they're beautiful. They're also working hard to filter gray and black water sufficiently so that we can push it back into the system. We're capturing the water that you and I are breathing out right now through our AC systems. Uh, we store all of that water in central reservoirs. Uh, and we just, uh, you know, we treat these resources as precious gifts and we make sure that we use them to best effect. Mm. And there's a bit of a breeze coming down, but it's more breezy in here than it was out of here. So explain that. Yeah, it's, uh, it's an amazing feature here under the canopy. Um, Grimshaw, the architects, designed this to maximize passive cooling. Uh, and the building is mostly uh, embedded in the ground for that very reason. But the canopy is tilted at just the right angle to draw in air to this courtyard. It's always one or two degrees cooler down here. There's always a breeze even on the sunniest day. And it's another nod to traditional Emirati values, and in this case, Emirati architecture, uh, where if you see a traditional house here, it's marked by the Barjil Towers. Towers rising up, in, uh, rising up with openings at the top, sucking air in, passing it down to the courtyard below for the comfort of the people there. It's exactly the same thing here. Wow, okay, well, uh, this has been incredible, just this first tour in itself. Uh, we've reached the end of our circle, so I guess we're gonna go inside now, and, and what are we gonna have a look at next? Yeah, we're gonna move inside the building. Like I said, most of it's under, underground, so we're gonna go deeper, two, two stories down. We're gonna encounter a story. So this building is working to be an inspiration. So in terms of the architecture, I hope you agree it's beautiful. Yeah. It's like a sculpture. Uh, it's stunning, it really is. Uh, and that's to show that we can produce efficient buildings that can also be beautiful and can also work hard. But inside, we wanted to create a story which connected with the many hundreds of thousands of visitors we get through this building from all over the world and showed them that they can play a part in changing our behaviors to lead to a better world. And also how important that is in the situation we find ourselves right now. Yeah, exactly. Right, let's do it then. Let's go on in. So. We get a choice. Um, our story either begins in the forest or I think perhaps we'll go through the ocean. Okay, let's go through the ocean first. Brilliant, okay. Right, so we have now kind of gone underground, if you like, and we are walking through the ocean. It's like a kind of almost virtual sea life center. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, what we wanted to do was to remind our visitors about just how beautiful the world around us is and maybe see it from a different perspective. That's why we've got these highly zoomed in views of beautiful corals. We have here on the other side over to your right there, we kind of have a, an entire ecosystem showing the importance of coral. And even though it only covers less than 1% of the ocean floor, 25% of the life there is dependent upon it. We want people 
to, to remember, to realize our natural love of the world, our biophilia, because in our thinking, you're going to be much more inclined to want to protect something if you remember that you love it. And also, you realize that you're part of it. Yeah. So we've just passed some jelly, moon jellies, and on my left here, we've got a simulation of some oysters. And uh, if you listen carefully, you could just about hear their heartbeats beating and they're reflected in the visuals here. And what we wanted to show was that these, these weird creatures, they don't move for their entire lives, they have no central nervous system, you know, but they still got these heartbeats, they're still born, they still grow, they still age, they still die, they still have families. They're doing these things, the rhythm of their life is dictated by their heartbeat in the same way that ours is. And hopefully that shows us that us humans are not so different from the rest of the world, even these earthlings that look completely different like the whale just yeah, passing over just our say head. Yeah, just say we've got a whale now floating above our head and for a moment there I thought this was real. This is definitely not real. This is 100%. We did toy with the idea of, um, of an aquarium in the very early days but frankly the energy requirements to keep it running and keep the animals well cared yeah. for are so high that we couldn't meet our other ambitions. Oh, it's incredible. I kind of wish this was also on video now because uh, yeah, these are incredible scenes, but I'll certainly put some photos and, and videos out on, on social media. Yeah, yeah, there um, goes the manatee, our beautiful, my beautiful friend. Yeah. Um, we're just now walking through a kind of simulated uh, rib, rib cage of a, of a whale and you're seeing our voices projected as beams of light passing down it and we're talking about the way the whales communicate with each other. Oh, wow. The so way they kind of echo to what we yeah right Woo! <laughs> so sound travels four times faster underwater but we don't really talk about the science of that we're trying to talk about them singing love songs and we talk about what are they talking about they're talking about where to find their lunch where's the rest of their family what are they doing things that us humans do yeah incredible right so we're going deeper and deeper so what happens ah, next yeah now we're in the midnight zone the, the deepest part of the ocean we're walking underneath uh, over 25,000 individually programmed LEDs, which are designed to make it feel a little bit, along with these infinity mirrors to our left and right, as if it feels like we're walking in amongst the, uh, the glowing creatures that live down here that communicate through bioluminescence, as if we're in their home. Yeah. So a huge part of this is about awareness raising, right? And, and, and there's a kind of educational element to all of this. Yeah, 100%. Terra was actually always built to not only for expo but for after expo so our thoughts were always to what we're going to do after and this place is going to be a science center especially for children and young people and their families continuing to tell uh, to get them engaged in the topic of sustainability and to empower them to come up with the ideas that might create a better future mm. okay right where next this looks almost quite like a i guess like a children's zone the way i like to talk about it is it's chapters of a story right so we walk through chapter one the beautiful natural worlds and now, like any fairy tale, we need to bring in the villain. We need the bad guy, we need Darth Vader, the uh, big bad wolf, yeah. uh, you name it. But what we wanted to do with our villain was not to make a fictional one, but to show how each and every one of us humans, through our choices, mm. we're the villains in this yeah. story. Yeah. So, um, so what you find here is uh, an area called the Sea of Consumption. And we have its, uh, its star is this huge anglerfish carved out of the building. And uh, she's very angry because as you can see, she's clogged to the gills with sing yeah, single-use yeah. plastic waste that we gathered off beach cleanups here. Ah, and I've, I've just understood what's going on here. This kind of iceberg-looking sculpture is actually all made up of, of individual plastic bottles. So thousands of, of plastic bottles here. Yeah, absolutely. It's a sad story. So really, our story is one of con about consumption, and it's about 
our thoughtless consumption as humans. What we don't always realize is that every single thing we buy is a choice. Mm. We can make smart choices and we can make poor choices. Mm. So we have these TVs embedded in the fish for invented products that just reflect some of the crazy things we do, like the waste of fast fashion, our endless pursuit of new mobile gadgets, our uh, portion sizes of food so big we can never finish them and yet billions of people are malnourished around the world. Yeah. It's a dark story, one that we hope we've told in a bold manner, yeah. with a touch of humour, but also with a kind of, uh, with a conscious flamboyance of trying to grapple these topics, engage people, not to judge people, but to get them interested, to start conversations. So this song we're in now is specifically about conversations. It's called The Would You Rathers. And it's a really simple place, full of uh, questions. And very simple machines with two levers, only two levers. You can either pull the this lever or the that lever okay. in response to the questions that we ask. And we ask difficult questions about a future for humanity and the planet. Like this one up above us. Would you rather never see an ocean again or never see a forest again? Oh wow, so it's a bit of a Sophie's Choice kind of question that, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, I guess I would probably rather never see a forest again, which feels really mean doing that, but I'll pull that lever and see what happens. Goodbye forest. So we work with environmental uh, psychologists to get these questions just right. So they're not trite, they're difficult to answer, and as you'll see here, we just tell you a little bit about how important forests are. We're not judging. There's no right or wrong in that question, obviously. We see really great conversations, between, especially in amongst families here, with children, adults with different opinions. Terra's just really, for me, a big kind of backdrop to these conversations that happen, because it's those conversations which we hope are changing minds and changing actions. Up to now, we've been asking our visitors what they think of this place, and over 90% of those people have told us that they're going to change some of their behaviours. You know, they're going to recycle, they're going to think about their consumption choices, or the way they travel. And they're going to make better choices directly because of this place, and that's something I'm really proud to be associated with. Yeah, exactly, and I've seen a number of behaviour change and engagement initiatives in my time on ED over the past few years, but I can honestly say as we've kind of come out now of the of the, the, the virtual sea life centre as I put it. I've, I've never quite seen a kind of such an experiential approach to, to engagement. I, I think that's partly the, the opportunity that a World Expo gives us to not, you know, to start from the message, to start from the theme, to start from the point of thinking about how we want to create change, not from, a, not from an institutional perspective. What have we got? What do we want to show the world? No. What we started with is what's the big conversations that we have to have now? What are the topics that the world needs to come together at Expo to think about and and therefore what kind of experience do we need to create in response to that? Mm, right, so... So um, we won't go through the forest side because it's essentially a duplication of the uh, of the ocean side but in a different environment right, right, so it right. takes you through the same chapters of the story. Uh, well I will go there but probably outside of this podcast uh, I'm well, definitely going to enjoy it because it's fun. Yeah. Well let me tell you about this place then. This is the, this is the last chapter. Mm. This gallery is called the Lab of Future Values. It's presided over by uh, Octavia, our octopus, and she looks over these installations which, which are designed to give inspiration and guide conversations about the big topics for a hopeful future. So for example, there's our hydroponic system. What's the future of food? And it's obviously upwards, not outwards. What's the future of education and how do we pass knowledge on uh, and how do we value the right types of knowledge? Water, 
human health, of course, and how human and planetary and environmental health are intertwined and inseparable. This place is full of these globes, and in each one of these globes is a diorama designed to showcase a project from around the world that we think suggests hints a way forward. You know, it's not, the an not an answer, it just shows that anyone can make a difference. So, for example, this one in front of us here, it's a lovely project from Indonesia in an area where recycling facilities are limited, but the locals can take their recyclable plastics to the bus station, they can drop them in and they get a bus fare in exchange. Yeah, so I should explain, we're kind of looking at a number of different kind of almost pods, if you like. It looks a bit like a kind of snow globe, depicting the kind of image of people holding the plastic carrier bag with various bits of single-use plastic inside it and messaging around the edge of this globe, kind of explaining the, the purpose behind it. So this has been fascinating, John. I guess the last question I wanted to ask you was um, what really constitutes a success for you from a, an event like this, from a sustainability standpoint? Because there's the there's the on-site sustainability aspects, of course, but also it's clear that the focus here is about something more than that. It's about driving that awareness more Absolutely. Broadly. I mean, well, you'll have just seen the Expo celebrated its 10 millionth visitor just, uh, just this weekend. Yeah. And of course, not all of them have been through terror, but a good proportion have. So success for me is touching the hearts of the highest possible percentage of those people get, getting them to experience a transformation in the way that they see the world around them and maybe a transformation in their understanding of their agency, their ability to change it for the good. And we see that in the galleries, we see that here in our auditorium where we bring politicians and those people setting the agendas together to be inspired by this experience and to create new ways forward. We see it in those results of the people who come through and their choices of what they choose to buy in the shop or consume for their dinner. So success really is about touching the hearts, starting those conversations, and being a springboard, essentially, for a brighter future, I hope, in a, in a small way. Oh, that's incredible. Um, John, thank you so much for this whirlwind tour of, of the Terra Pavilion here. Oh, a final question. What does Terra mean? Ah, Terra, so it's from the, uh, it's from the Latin. Our planet, the planet, ah. means Earth, essentially. Right. Uh, we toy with a number of ideas, but it, you know, it, it crosses cultures and being from a, a dead language as well, it kind of, uh, from Latin, it, you know, it, it works for people from all around the world. Oh, well, thank you. On that very educational uh, final <laughs> note, John, thank you so much for the tour again, uh, and I'll be back here again soon. Oh, good. Enjoy yourself. Thanks for coming. Thank you. So that concludes the tour and indeed the first part of this two-part special episode of ED's Sustainable Business Covered podcast. Thanks to John here and to Nadia who we heard from earlier. Now for part two of this tour we're going to be exploring two different aspects of this mega event. Firstly we'll be taking another tour of Expo Live. This is a very special pavilion which is dedicated to supporting innovative solutions to the climate crisis so really looking forward to seeing those and then I'll be discussing what the legacy of this World Expo is and the real impact of Expo 2020 on the city of Dubai and the world in the months and years to come so stay tuned for all of that and more in part two <laughs>